0: Grit and tenacity is predominantly the key and one of the biggest drivers of success for businesses.
1: Entrepreneurship can sometimes be a lonely journey. So talking with people like Dan Bladen, CEO and co-founder of Cadence, is kind of therapeutic for me, I must admit. I loved hearing some of Dan's passion for impact and change through what he's doing, how his personal faith and values drive what he does, and also hearing some of his thoughts on the future of workspace. If you want to hear more stories like Dan's, as well as get some industry-leading workshops on topics around scaling your organisation, starting your organisation from industry practitioners, then don't forget we have the wonderful summit coming up on May the 18th in London, England. So head over to WonderfulSummit.com to get your tickets. And as a very special thank you to our podcast audience, we have a discount code for you to get 20% off the ticket price. So head over to WonderfulSummit.com, click book now and use the code WS20 to get 20% discount on what is already a reasonably priced ticket. It's going to be a fantastic day of networking, inspiration and practical challenge. So hopefully, I'll see you at the Wonderful Summit on May the 18th. Welcome to the Wonderful Leaders Podcast, and I have Dan Bladen with me all the way from the bay. Hi, Dan. How are you doing? Morning, Dan. Good.
0: Good. Thanks, mate.
1: Well, you say morning, I say evening, but it's great great to connect, mate. hope you're well
0: i am i am i've got my yorkshire tea i'm ready to go do
1: you still have yorkshire tea out there on the west coast
0: we wow we amazon it (laughs) but (laughs) yeah yeah it's come via dubai it's come via australia um but yeah we're pretty religious about yorkshire tea the red one not the gold one the gold one's a bit stewed but yeah the red one
1: (laughs) the red one the original the og um so dan for our listeners tell them what the day the life of dan bladen looks like yeah um so as
0: you mentioned based in the san francisco bay area uh we've got team at cadence spread across from here salt lake city belfast northern ireland london amsterdam we've got some nomads kind of sales team traveling around in tenerife and got one in egypt right now so we're quite distributed so my day generally starts leaving behind <laughs> for the most part. Um, so starting predominantly with the UK team from around 7 a.m. Uh, on calls with them uh, through to about 11 a.m. my time and then my US day starts. Um, so lots of Zoom, lots of Slack and then kind of as my US day starts try and intersperse it with going into an office, seeing colleagues. Um, I travel to Salt Lake City where most of our US team is once or twice a month I was there this week with our customer experience team that was across for a couple of days, uh, meeting with investors here and around different locations as well, customers. So yeah, it's quite varied, but generally starts with the back-to-back joy of, of early morning Yorkshire tea-fueled Zoom
1: sessions. Right, navigating the world clock. <laughs> navigating,
0: yeah, I do have uh, the time zones, com, but most of it, most of it got by uh, in, uh, in my head now, though. We're coming up to my favorite two weeks of, well, there's four weeks in the year where the US moves two weeks before for Daylight Savings before Europe. So it's a glorious, right. glorious time where it's just a seven hour difference, not an eight hour difference. And it's crazy how much um, how much that makes an impact. Um, so that's kind of the bulk of the work day. And then we've got three small kids, three kids under eight, and so um, yeah, trying to balance when I finish <laughs> work for a period of time and plug into them,
1: et cetera, too. Wow, sounds like a busy, busy life. So Dan, tell us a little bit about your sort of entrepreneurship journey so far. Yeah, um, always always kind
0: of been building stuff, really. So as a kid, um, built computers, sold them to friends, uh, had a, a computer gaming server review website for a <laughs> online game I used to play which we sold a tiny bit of advertising on. So always been fascinated about building enterprise and what that looks like, who you can serve and how you can make a business out of it. Took that into different parts of my roles and careers, I guess. So at 18, graduated from sixth form in the UK. started studying theology part-time. I did a BA in theology in London. But at the same time, started working for a church in West London. Where I did music, and then ended up doing technology at that church too. And we did a big kind of ten million dollar building project at that church, where I headed up all the audiovisual technology design. My claim to fame is uh, we were the first charity in the UK on Microsoft or Office three six five, which you know, I'm very, very, <laughs> very proud about. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, and so I had a ton of. Opportunities working at that church to be quite entrepreneurial, to do things that weren't yet done, to build things that weren't yet done. One of the really kind of cool hacks that I was very proud of was that this was kind of like the early days of fiber internet, and so we were putting an elevator, a lift, into the into this new building. And I was like, I said to uh, the internet service provider, BT at the time, I said, "Hey, can we put the." Uh, can we put the fiber optic line for our internet over the uh, elevator emergency line? Because every elevator has to have an emergency phone line. Can we put it on there? And they're like, Yeah, that's fine, absolutely. Nobody really does that, but that's a really good idea because we have to, by government rules, monitor this line so it's you know up ninety nine point nine percent of the time. And so we, ha- I love like these little hacks, ways around things. Can you make this thing happen? And um, so, yeah, that was kind of a, a really great five years of being able to build stuff, experiment in quite a free free and safe environment to do so. Um, and then fast forward to kind of what we've started now with uh, with Chargify and, and Cadence, which has been a 10 year
1: journey in and of itself. I love that story about the fiber cable and the lift. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's, uh, you should have tried to pattern that somehow or try <laughs> and make that your process. <laughs> yeah, we, we're the only ones that can do it. So yeah, so you obviously kind of segue from you know this sort of innovation piece, growth piece, in that church environment. Then you mentioned Charger Fire. So just tell yeah. us a little bit about the journey for Charger Fire, then how that's kind of worked into Cadence, and yeah, where's yeah. that led you now?
0: Yeah, so in 2013, my wife and I went travelling around the world for six months. We went from South America around to India, uh, the long way round. And we spent a ton of time in coffee shops and bars and hotels, as you can imagine, and hostels. And after a while, realized that we were going into these coffee shops in all parts of the world and not really for coffee. Like we were going in to take a break from the chaos of whatever country we were in. um, But we were going in predominantly to recharge our devices and reconnect with friends and family back home on on the coffee shop's Wi-Fi. And it was super interesting, you know, Wi-Fi was everywhere. 4G was becoming pretty prevalent at that time, but power was still a real problem. Like, how do you charge your device? And so I just thought, well, when's, when's wireless power? When's Wi-Fi for power going to come? So came back to the UK and um, I was finishing off this degree I was doing in theology. Um, and as I was finishing it off, and um, had the idea for Chargify. So putting wireless charging into tables, in coffee shops, restaurants, hotels, uh, stadiums, and offices, and this was five years before the uh, four years before the iPhone had wireless charging. So, like this was really, really early, and so I thought it'd be really cool that you know we could do for power what Wi-Fi had done for connectivity, and start putting these wireless charging zones in all sorts of public and, and private places. We ran that business uh, for about nine years, from 2013 through, uh, through, and uh, raised $17.5 million for that business from major investors like Intel and hewlett Packard Enterprise and a bunch of other pure-play venture capitalists. Moved to the Valley in 2019 uh, to grow the business here, be closer to some of our investors and some of our customers here. Uh, and then in in March, four months after we moved, our world changed. Uh, The pandemic struck well we were locked in and uh yeah happy to double click into that transformation into cadence but that was kind of the chargeify journey was really cool idea that made tons of logical sense that took quite a lot of backing uh was able to attract quite a lot of backing but what was really interesting about chargeify was that um it was the right idea i think looking back on it it was ahead of its time uh and still is quite honestly ahead of its time Right. And it's more of a vitamin and not a painkiller. It was more of a nice-to-have for people rather than a must-have. And it still, I wouldn't say, has crossed that chasm into must-have, which is something that we've seen completely on the other side uh, with Cadence in the last two years.
1: Right. Amazing. Yeah. And before we get into the, the Cadence story, because, uh, you know, that's a super interesting, you know, sort of period and shift. And, you know, there must have been quite a big move, moving the family across from from the UK into into the West Coast and 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 yeah yeah how how did that journey look yeah i mean it's i was really
0: excited about (laughs) moving to the u.s it was 2020 massive west wing fan so there's going to be an election that we could really dig into (laughs) um and i mean what what a crazy period of time i mean the election was wild we had wild fires here in san francisco if you can remember those photos of, of orange skies um we had BLM was huge in the U.S. and the riots right. that were um, around that time too. So it was a really, really strange environment. And for our kids, bless them, you know, our youngest was under two years when he moved. Like they didn't go to school for thirteen months. Um, so Silicon Valley was really, really cautious about about return to some sense of normality. So it's a really strange time, but. It also, I think for entrepreneurs provided like the largest air cover possible, uh, to make changes to what you wanted to do. You mean, uh, if you wanted to change your business, if you had the opportunity to change things in life, whether that be moved somewhere else or what have you, you know, the air cover provided by global contagion (laughs) is, is quite interesting. I think Winston Churchill, you know, the whole, you know, never waste, uh, never waste a, a disaster or never waste a, <laughs> a calamity so i am um, uh, that's what we did you know shortly after moving here we had customers renege on their purchase orders and we had we had a hardware component to our product right so we had customers canceling thousands of wireless charges with well, us that we had already purchased and and had a role in manufacturing um and then Fast forward to May 2020, one of our um, prospects in New York said, Hey, you know, we're looking to put Chargerify across our offices in New York. And we'd started to use the product to try and check people into desks. So as you put your phone on a wireless charger in uh, Accenture's offices in New York, even today, when you put your phone on a wireless charger on their hot desks, on their hotel desks, in their offices, um, it will recognize you and check you into that desk. Um, and... Uh, as we were, people were interested in this more and more as people started to reconsider how they were using their real estate um, in what they were quickly becoming. Kind of a, it wasn't called hybrid then. I think we we're juggling about twelve different names to what hi- hybrid right. is going to be called. Um, and one customer said, Fortune fifty company, hey, uh, we're going to go from three buildings to one building in Manhattan, and we're going to remove forty nine percent of our desks a brand you'd recognize. Um, Can we use Chargify to manage our hybrid workspace? You've got, you're going to have wireless chargers on every desk. So you've got the desk level data on how our spaces are being used. Can we use you? And and two thoughts kind of came to our minds at this time. Like number one, this is an incredibly large market. (laughs) There are millions, hundreds of millions of white collar workers at desks. But number two is that I really don't want to give my life, my next 10 years, to desk booking software. Like That doesn't sound very intriguing. <laughs> doesn't sound like there's something I want to chase after. But as a management team at now Cadence, as we've rebranded from Chargify, we've got a bunch of people with young families. And quite honestly, what we what we saw during the dark days of the pandemic was a really dystopian picture of what work in the future could look like or might look like, rather. And so I was really, really excited about the opportunity to play a role in making sure that the future of work did not turn out to be like that, and that it was as benevolent as we possibly could make it. The other part of it that I found intriguing was all the moving pieces of hybrid. You know, in the past, people were very predictable, and spaces were very static. And now staff are highly unpredictable for the most part on when they're going to go in, who they're going to go in with, where they're going to be. And spaces are highly flexible. Most of our customers have moved to hot desking. And so there's this really neat and interesting opportunity for optimizing, load balancing, orchestrating people in space, which is a company's two largest costs. And we think if you can orchestrate people and places uh, you've got a chance to what we call impact your triple bottom line so impact your people the planet as well as your profits and so there's this really really interesting and we feel very missional and i feel personally called to this to shape the future of work for what the next generation is going to inherit you know you and i dan inherit inherited offices from the industrial age and uh whatever we all do uh, over the next ten years, for hybrid is what our kids are going to inherit for the connected age, and their kind of default of work. So we feel very missional about that and called cool to that. But at the same time, there's a really fascinating technical opportunity here to to try and solve.
1: Wow, brilliant! That's an amazing journey, and I'm, I'm nodding my head away because I, I <laughs> you know, I put, I'm resonating with so much of what you're saying and from from my own business experience and the journey that we've been on. Being the other side of the coin, you know, we've gone from fully office based team largely based in one location and environment, and now recruiting people from over the country staff yeah. in portugal staff in south korea you know we got remote wow. teams now working you know us side eastern europe and uh, india and just you know that whole piece about shaping the future of work i think is so profound because i think people are finding need to refine themselves in such a um, a real way you know what does work look like what does purpose look like where do i find myself how do i find relationships and i love i love i love what you're sharing there now you probably i think i've already picked it up but listening to everything you're saying what's the kind of north star then for cadence
0: yeah our north star for cadence is what we refer to as monthly flourishing users or the acronym mfu's which right. we find hard not to forget. <laughs> <MFU>. <laughs> um, so, um, month monthly flourishing users is what we um, what we look after, and and we think that people do their best work when they're in the right place with the right people at the right time, focused on the right things. And so, you know, we take a very, in my view, theological view of flourishing, or for one of a better expression or an easier expression, like a gardener's view of flourishing. That you know, plants when planted in the correct conditions with the right, right environment in season flourish and flourishing is bearing fruit and so we track our mfu's and that's our north star and mfu's monthly flourishing users uh, drive our revenue they drive our product design uh, the more people use the product the more revenue we make obviously from a commercial perspective and um, that keeps everyone happy cadence and investors and we get the chance to grow the business and have have more impact but also we strongly believe that there are these foundational pillars of of hybrid that help get people into kind of a flourishing mindset rather than just turning up to the office um, to do to do work and so we've now got some data that shows if you can get people face to face for creative tasks and for heads up work and um, then you have about 15 more innovation that happens in those environments well, something happens when humans get together is transferred creativity happens we've got i think higher higher fidelity conversations or higher bandwidth conversations that happens very face to face and um, but at the same time if you offer remote as part of your hybrid strategy, then you have about 35% less resignations. So the truth is, regardless of black and white and what the press says, the truth is a really thick shade of gray and that both hybrid in-person and hybrid remote works. and, And we kind of think that these monthly flourishing users are kind of built on these kind of four key pillars of trust, alignment, execution and flourishing that can impact you know people planet and profit the wonderful summit is a one-day event for christian entrepreneurs investors and innovators to network be inspired by some amazing speakers and attend a range of practical workshops so whether you're a startup looking to scale or looking for investment join us in london on may
1: the 18th for a conference like no other Head over to wonderfulsummit.com and book your ticket now. So from a bird's eye view, from a kind of, you know, 20,000 foot view, you yeah. know, we've now got used to this understanding of hybrid and remote working and, you know, that kind of that kind of um, sense of, and I love the way you use the word flourishing. I, I, feel, I feel like that's a vision for the working world. Yeah. I think so many people still trying to find their feet and that side of things but what do you see what's your what's your bird's eye view on, on this Do you do you think this is the future work do you think we are we have moved into a new age of work a new age of of um of almost like that that kind of that old industrial mindset has been broken has it gone we're not going back to the way things were yeah i think
0: we're i think I don't think you're putting the genie back in the bottle at all around always being in the office. And if you are, then you're going to be outcompeted by your competitors because number one, you're not going to retain your people (laughs) uh, to the extent your competitors are. And number two, you're not going to have the real estate savings that your competitors are now enjoying. Most of Cadence's customers have moved to a three to one or two to one people to desk ratio. So they're like saving, you know, uh, one of our customers in London has saved sixty-eight percent of their real estate since moving to Caden. So, like, this is their second-largest wow. cost after people, and they're now got a third of the cost they had previously because of the way they re re-optimize their offices now. And so, they're going to outcompete their competitors that don't do it. So, I don't think companies have a choice; like, they have to go hybrid. This is this is the e-commerce moment that Barnes and Noble should have had when Amazon.com like. You're going to be Barnes right. and Noble, which are having a bit of a resurrection right now. So probably not the best example, <laughs> but um, <laughs> like that—that's that's what's happening. Um, the other thing is that there is a, a shift to focusing on outcomes and not inputs. Like that is definitely happening. And so right. for the most part, companies are not looking at bums on seats. They're not looking at bumping into X or Y person in the corridor. They are looking at your objectives and key results and performance indicators and seeing if you are getting your work done. And it's our belief that people can be trusted to do their best work, but that they need tools to figure out where to be and what to do and who to be with and how to do their best work. Right. And so a little bit like an operating system on our computers right now is sending the video here to the graphics processor. and. Chat and Zoo, uh, Chat and Slack and other things to the central processor because those are the right places to do that those tasks for the best outcome. We think that people will think the same of all work that they will consider where is the best place to do this work in the best possible way. Who do I need to be with for that? For that and Cadence is kind of the connected tissue that helps the right people be in the right places at the right times.
1: You're talking there about that kind of that productivity piece and that kind of trust piece we're kind of talking about a shift in company culture as well you know from that kind of centrally managed centrally controlled environment to a decentralized environment where there's a lot more trust in terms of not just the the input but the output and 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 the responsibility almost on employees to need to communicate and talk and what we're seeing is a huge cultural shift happening with brands at the moment where there's been that well, we can't control the century so what do we do so that internal comms piece that internal sort of culture piece is becoming so much more prevalent i think for a lot of organizations both small and large so i love the role that you guys are playing in that as well and, and that focus on the triple bottom line i think is super interesting because of, you know, we're we're we would B Corp pending as an agency, so oh, cool. we're kind of that. That's part of our vernacular as well. But it's interesting to hear you say it from your perspective. How the just a shift in working has that positive impact on triple bottom line, which is I've not seen that before. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: making a, it's making a huge difference. But I think one of the things around the trust point, which you kind of clicked on there, is we're definitely seeing, and I don't think I have an answer yet on this. There's a difference in how people think about work, right? And I mean on the like atomic unit individual level right? and how, we, how individuals think about work. And I think companies like Cadence need to be really careful not to... Perhaps we should do this aspiration, but I think we need to be careful not to... There are some people that work isn't their lives, right? They don't feel massively called to it. They're turning up because they need to put food on the table perhaps, you know, have other things around work, perhaps location for supporting family or older relatives or whatever it might be, that this is this is turning up to do. And that's fine in and of, of, of itself. There is very much, you know, folks like Cadence and I think others have a, a highly aspirational, hey, you know, like a quarterback, you should be figuring out where you should be in the best place to do your best work, etc. Like I think that that is true and right and should be, should be something that people uh, aspire to, but also at the same time, you know, there's a lot of people that uh, I think we need to be careful to also serve that's just like, Hey, like I need to figure out if I need to commute today or not, because actually I've got X or Y person that's sick at home that I need to get back to ASAP. And so I think, you know, we need on that trust point. It's the, Hey, I'm a kick-ass employee. <laughs> I want to look back on life. And think, wow! I did the best work of my career. I really left nothing on the field, and I was there for family, etc. Uh, and then there are others that are just like, hey, you know, work isn't my be all and end all. I'm actually called to this thing or that thing. I have to work, um, and so I think that's the one of the things that I don't think we've quite figured out how to message yet. Um, but I'd like to think that the, you know, the optimizing of commutes and things like that can be can be helpful.
1: Absolutely, I think that's all part of it, and I'd love to uh, open up a conversation, but not not now during the pod, but about how, as employers and as people that are running organisations, how do we help our staff to go on that journey, to to go on that both that personal development side of things, of finding purpose and engagement and passions, and you know what part of that is lived out in the workplace as opposed to not you know, because we're not, we're not meant to be everything at work, but you know, at the same time, you know, our employees spend a good portion of their day, week and, and year at our place of employment. So I think that's one of the things we've been exploring a lot is around how do you not only build organizational purpose, but empower people to find their purpose within that, but also recognizing that they don't live to work you know a lot of the time they work yeah. to live so there's definitely that nuance there and you know i say it's a nuance but it's quite a fundamental shift in some ways and even through our rebrand from chargeify to
0: cadence the cadence word whether it's spiritually or something else like the word cadence we just couldn't escape from and right finding your own cadence that works for you is something that regardless of how you consider work, and I, th- I think we're all designed to work, right? But regardless of how we consider work, um, yeah, finding your cadence is something that I think everybody can get on board with.
1: Brilliant. Did you, uh, just a, uh, uh, kind of a bit note there? Did you do? Did you come up with that brand yourself, or did you use an agency?
0: <laughs> we came up with ourselves. <laughs> our agency was awful. That we no, they weren't awful. I'm good friends with the guys that did it. Uh, nothing, nothing worked from our agency. Nothing felt like us. If I'm honest with you, um, right. Uh, the other thing was that you know we got massively into Peloton <laughs> as a company during during, uh, right. during during the pandemic and you know having us partic- cycling at a particular cadence etc. Like the term cadence was in the zeitgeist during the pandemic anyway. I think because a ton of people were on were on uh, so I think that's probably where it came from. But we've had loads of people say, "Oh yeah, cadence because I can." You know, we marched to a certain beat together we've had cadence saying oh cool it's like a jazz band as long as they are you know as long as there's a certain cadence and everyone can kind of do their bit on top of the underlying cadence like oh so there's people are thinking about it differently which is which is fun
1: no it's cool and that's why I asked because it makes sense right it brings the right framework and mindset to everything you're talking about and you know that that word just really works so no well, well done you guys Dan, I want to <laughs> just kind of drill into sort of your journey a little bit more i mean obviously you know it's it's amazing to hear your kind of bigger picture vision how that aligns with purpose how that aligns with your passions and what you want to give yourself to for the next sort of few years as you said but kind of um what have been some of those key lessons that you've learned along the way because you know you you i i can hear the the moving from the charge of fire to cadence that kind of pivot there that kind, you know the traveling bit going from a church environment to a technology you know there's, there's been some really interesting um step changes in your journey and what have been some of those lessons that you've learned that you sort of you kind of wear as a little bit of either a badge or a scarf <laughs> yeah
0: tons right i think the first one is is backing yourself and having the confidence to back yourself I think that's something that I've definitely noticed is a key difference between founders in the UK and founders in the US. Like investors dial down the founders here. When you're being pitched by a US founder, for the most part, the investor will, uh, you know, take that person down and give them a discount, right? When they're thinking about how, where the business currently is. Whereas I think with UK founders, and I've got you know, the huge privilege of working with a bunch of them. It almost is the other way around. Like I almost have to like tease out of them. <laughs> you know, what are they really amazing at? What are they world-class at? You know, one of my favorite questions to ask <laughs> in the interview process with Brits is, tell me about your superpowers. <laughs> it's amazing how how Brits, you know, we squeal when we have those types of questions asked <laughs> us and we kind of find it quite awkward. So I think that's a big one for me, like backing yourself and feel feeling confident that that you can go and do the stuff. The other piece I think is is grit. Like if you look at the data, not having the right product doesn't really kill companies. It's three things predominantly kill companies. The wrong timing is the main, main problem. Getting the wrong timing. The second one is running out of money. <laughs> you just run out of yep. cash. And the third one is co-founders. Co-founders having fights. Grit and tenacity is predominantly the key and one of the biggest drivers of success for businesses. And so the ability to stick with it, to see it through hard times. Elon talks about starting a business is like chewing on glass. <laughs> it sucks some of the time. There's, <laughs> you know, check out the news has been a really big thing happening in the financial industry and in the in the startup industry this week. And it's been absolute hysteria. And then it's, you know, trying to get your head out of that back into the day job, you know, very quickly. So the, the grit and tenacity is like, I think, one of the biggest takeaways and something that I certainly look for when when working uh, with other founders too. It's
1: a brilliant soundbite there for young entrepreneurs and for those that are looking to get into this space. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Just again, you know, looking at kind of your life as a leader and as an entrepreneur, and you mentioned something earlier about... Um, you know some of those formative years studying theology and working in the church and what would you say the role of faith what's the role of faith you know in your in your personal life but also how does it impact the way you even the lens in which you see business or the way in which you do business yeah it's
0: everything it's everything for me Um I mean if I felt called cool to do something different and I felt like it wasn't this is not what I wanted to do I'd love to believe that I'd have the faith to drop it and do something else um well wow. I think, I think I do uh, so so for me it's 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 everything uh, I was having a drink I think some of the key things though like for how does faith interact be a part of whatever with 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 day-to-day kind of running a, a cadence and um, I had a drink with a very well-known neo bank founder in the UK a few years ago and it was the first time we'd met uh, and he was asking what I did before, <laughs> before Charger Fry at the time. And I was like, oh, I studied theology and worked for a church. And so he said, like, you're a Christian then. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I am. And um, he goes, how do you go from working for a church, doing a theology degree to founding uh, an Internet of Things company, which Cadence was? How, how do you explain that? Um, I think I said something on the lines of it makes me really comfortable with risk. <laughs> 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 uh, because ultimately, like none of this is about me. I did. Don't think we did anything. I don't think I did anything to get here. And I believe that I'm not res- ultimately responsible for providing for me and my family. Not that there is a a guaranteed amount of success that we will have or anything like that. But I think it does certainly provide a stronghold and a platform and foundation to to operate from. Um, so that's number one. Like makes me really comfortable with risk. That you know this isn't the be all and end all of eternity. I think the other. Piece that I've been really impacted by is like when it has to come become real. Like you know, we run out of cash on a couple of times throughout this journey and had to see it through to the next round of funding and all that kind of stuff. And um, who do you pay? Who do you not pay uh, this month or that month? Right. And so I've learned a lot from reading uh, this theologian called Walter Brueggemann, who's got this really amazing book called The Function of Prophecy. And it's basically this idea that the future is not limited to current definitions of reality, right? That all things are possible because there's someone else working for our good. And theology-wise, there's like two functions of prophecy. Brueggemann would say there's there's foretelling, so what is going to happen in the future, and then there's forthtelling. You're speaking into existence what is going to happen. And leaders having the ability to foretell and to speak into existence what's happening, I think is like the key goal, the key job of a leader to say, Hey guys, and you know, Isaiah writes, the trees of the field shall clap their hands and they will will go out with joy whilst they're captive in Babylon. And that provides a sense of hope that sustains the Israelites in the there and then, <laughs> but it also provides a picture and a path to where they're going. So it's pastoral in the a visionary can be pastoral in the moment and prophetic in where they're going. And I think like that's been one of the key, key things for for me and friends that we've been with on this kind of journey is the hey, what's like the prophetic thing that you can do right now that can provide hope in the hearing now, but can also uh at the same time create a pass out of this current situation.
1: That's brilliant. I, th- I think that sense of what well, you crystallize so well there, that sense of forthcoming, that sense of being a leader of faith and with faith, being able to really speak the goodness and the fullness of God into situations is so important and so powerful. And I, I think, you know, from a, if you took the Christian lens off, you know, and, and just put a, a, C, a general CEO hat on, you know, they're the visionaries, they're out there to share a big goal and, they're out there to share a big dream and create, you know, forge a new path and all of that CEO visionary stuff. But from a Christian perspective, you're speaking something more into being, you're speaking hope, you're speaking a, a positive future, you're speaking a destiny almost sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so I really love that. I think that's so powerful. One area where the rubber hits the road, Perkins. and you've already mentioned it, is finances. Yeah. Right? That's always the one of the biggest litmus tests in our own personal faith journey, but Particularly those of us that are entrepreneurs or in business. Now you've just uh, you've just closed a, an, an investment round. Congratulations on that. That's the mountain top. You know, that, that you know might not feel like it, but you know <laughs> there's an investment round. There's there's money coming through. You can see a roadmap. You also mentioned running out of cash. You know a, a couple of times along the journey. So if I'm a young entrepreneur or a younger entrepreneur, I'm listening to this podcast today. Tell me a little bit about. Um, what advice would you give me if I'm about to enter that process of looking at investment? Yeah. You know, or I've got this big dream and, you know, God's spoken to me and I've got the dream. and I know I need to raise some pre-seed or seed, depends where I'm at. You know, you've been there and got the t-shirt.
0: Yeah. Um, so context is like massively key. Like is the business a venture backable business? Is it not? Um, Are there other ways to fund it? What industry is it in? And then quite quite honestly right now, which is very poignant, is like what macro environment are VCs, are investors, operating in? So I would say the vast majority of businesses are not VC-backable, like the vast, vast, 95 plus percent. Like the economics of a venture capitalist, they need to be returning their fund four times over. So they're gonna raise X amount of millions and they need to be returning that kind of 4X. The average is about two and a half X, and um, but they need to be returning. And that's what their goal is to return 4X, which means if you're spreading bets across a bunch of different companies, a ton of those companies are gonna fail, which means your real outliers are where the profit comes from. Right. And so they're not interested in medium outcomes, like you doing a 10X business from when they invested does not return their funds to their investors and so you've really got to be swinging for the fences like this i think like there are very few vcs out there i think that are comfortable with a low hundred million dollar outcome like everybody's building their fund dynamics around billion dollar outcomes for the most part part of that is part and parcel with where interest rates have been and the amount of funding coming into vcs but know, if they're deploying a billion dollars worth of funds, they've got to return that. (laughs) Like they, they need to have outsized outcomes. And so I think as a founder, you've got to ask yourself, like, are you really going to help with that? Like, is your business going to provide that kind of outcome? And you can save yourself a bunch of time if you don't think it is. So I think, and you know, you can pitch in different countries and different environments and different stages, and they'll have a slightly different answer on that. And that math changes on, you know, different times and periods. But I think that's a general rule of thumb. So I'd advise for most businesses that are not, that are quite honestly not high growth tech businesses, not to take VC funding. Um, I don't think it matches. The biggest learning, I think, is then finding the right partner. Like you were getting right. into a marriage with this investor for ten years. You're going to go through highs and lows. You're going to you're going to be there for them when they need a reference call to try and get into that company, and they're going to be for, be there for you when you need a a bridge round to get you through a certain period of time. So, spending as much time as possible shortlisting those people that you want to work with doing your due diligence on those people, understanding how much cash they have to deploy and plan to deploy whilst they're, you're in their fund. Um, but taking that marriage of an investor-founder relationship is, is also key. There's tons of stuff to talk about. Most of it's hyper, highly contextual to the moment, but there's a couple of thoughts
1: i can see us going and Segway in there into a whole <laughs> investment section so let's let's keep on track but i love that so just kind of drilling back to you and your kind of um your journey so far who's inspired you over the years along the way who or what yeah um i think it changes in different seasons
0: quite, quite honestly who has inspired me i mean dad had always said you know there's always a way my dad's very practical and hands-on and uh, there's always a way. And so I think that that word has stuck with me throughout the toughest of circumstances. Like there is always a way. Right. And um, so that that's been a huge thing from dad. And um, whether you like him or not, not my dad, whether you like him or not, Elon is, <laughs> Elon continues to be an inspiration for me, whether you agree with his politics or you agree with how he whatever. He's a builder. He's in the ring. He's building. He's moving humanity forwards in my right, in my estimations. So I I find he, Elon hugely inspiring. Commitment to products, taking new industries, space, payments, <laughs> uh, AI, cars. I know that he is. There's so much talk around him, but I, as a builder. I really don't care about what you think about people like Elon if if you're not in the ring building. Um, and right. I think he is an amazing, amazing builder. Does he always do things the way newspapers want him to do? No. <laughs> uh, but he creates press, right? He creates headlines. He creates. And you know, Tesla has no marketing budget, right? <laughs> so that's part of his job too, I, I, I consider. But he's building and I love builders and I just love to celebrate people winning and uh so he's an inspiration not because of just what he's built but also i know this sounds like a stereotypical answer um but also like he he took it right up to the line like with spacex like and how much money he put in with tesla how short of cash they were about a decade ago and the christmas eve you know check arrives for (laughs) for the for the bridge round like I think he still is whatever you think of him. I love that he's a builder and that he's executing. Um, and I think that side of him is something that everyone can, can
1: aspire to. Brilliant. I don't disagree with any of that. So what do you do for fun? How does the founder entrepreneur <laughs> switch off with three kids as well?
0: Yeah. Three kids different, like vacation holidays, different beast now, right? Um, then <laughs>
1: than what it used to be <laughs>
0: uh, living in the, Bay Area, we've got great access to the outdoors. So like, we love, I think someone said to me, the difference between with New York and the Bay is that a good weekend is in New York is how many places you had brunch and had dinner. Uh, <laughs> and in the Bay Area, it's how many miles you hike. Awesome. So we're very fortunate to have all the outdoors here. So as a family, we hike, uh, We sorry, we camp a ton, uh, and we can do that for the most part of the year. And so just having, having the ability to do that and then at this time of the year we're skiing a lot too so you know in europe there's a much bigger feat having to get from london out to the alps or wherever not something we were able to do all the time at all and now here we're able to do that in a drive uh, on a friday afternoon and then come Quite back the day. so you know we love that um and then you know i think otherwise fun times just Hanging out with friends, being philosophical about what's happening in the valley, uh, what's happening, you know, with the Lord at this time as well, and what he's doing through society and future work. I had a, a long wine evening (laughs) with a, with a friend on Wednesday evening, talking about the individual and AI and the implications of you know having chat gpt as as another founding member of your team now essentially and you know does that have implications of community and our ability to trust and or have to lean on other people to move forward so yeah i love thinking and talking about that type of stuff too
1: so you relax you know you sort of like like that intellectual stimulation as well to relax (laughs) yeah i'm i'm an
0: infp in myers briggs right so I, uh, I find dreaming about the future, being very deep with people, but a few amount of people, I find that as a recharge. I think my, my coach said, hey, I need to figure you out. So one of the first questions was, um, I can write you a check for the best birthday party on the planet. The only rule is that you have to remember it on your deathbed. <laughs> and he asked me, how many people do you have at the party? And I said, I think it got twenty people, <laughs> and we're right fire pit, whiskey, late night, stars, and you know, one of my close friends was like, "That's nonsense. We're getting a cruise ship. We're having ten thousand people." <laughs> I be um, so yeah, I like I like the uh, I like the the whiskey campfire moment.
1: That's a brilliant question though, isn't it? That really sums up someone's yeah motivations, desires, how they relax. They're, that's re- that's really cool. Uh, I like that. I like that. Dad, I'm going to let you go very shortly. But the final question we uh, always ask all of our guests is, what's one piece of advice you would give your younger self?
0: Start hair loss treatment earlier (laughs) than I did. (laughs) Then the other piece of advice I'd give my younger self is trust your gut on hiring like the number of times and the amount of time that I've wasted with mishires, where I've been convinced by somebody else or it's made more sense on paper and I've gone right. with it. Um, I don't think I've had it work out yet where the gut wasn't right and the person stuck around and it all was fine. <laughs> so I think trust your gut on hiring and with people in general. Like that's been a huge, a huge uh, learning over the last. 10 years of doing this
1: brilliant dan bladen such a privilege and honor to spend time with you my friends and uh thank you for all your input and bless you for all you're doing out there and with the business and with family life and everything you're doing and uh yeah enjoy the ski season (laughs) thanks man godspeed